Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV. Best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Welcome, dear listeners, to News Talk 830 WCCO Outdoors, a little program we do here every week at 5 o'clock. We are live. I am Rob Dreesline. My day job is uh, managing editor, publisher of Outdoor News, and we're going to spend the next hour here talking outdoors topics. Uh, welcome to take some calls, especially later in the show. The last segment's pretty wide open, I believe. Give us a call at 651-461-9226. Uh, we've got a couple guests here today. Uh, we're going to talk bears a little bit, black bears. This Friday, May 5th, is the deadline to apply for a lottery tag in the what they call the quota zone of Minnesota. So we're going to talk to Dan Stark. He's the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources uh, with Big Carnivore Specialist, I believe is his title. We're going to chat with him a little bit about what's going on with black bears in the state. If you were monitoring the news this weekend, you saw all sorts of black bear reports around the state. There was one down in Northfield, which is you know getting out of the uh, traditional black bear range. Um, I got a son who lives down in Madison, Wisconsin, who is uh, sending me pictures of uh, black bear running around the city of Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm told, you know, we've got several what in the Elm Creek Park Reserve in the Northwest Metro. Uh, up in uh, Carlos Avery, there's uh, there's several sows that have had cubs the past several years. So it seems like the fringe range of the black bear uh, range here in Minnesota seems to be expanding. And kind of go figure, there's a lot of food. It's good bear habitat, even though there's also a fair number of people in those areas. So that's kind of interesting. We'll talk with Dan Stark about that. In about 10 minutes, we're going to have Steve Draskowski, State Senator Steve Draskowski. The Draz is going to join us. He's a Republican from Mazeppa. A gentleman I've disagreed with a few things on over the years, but he's he's on top of uh, something that I find very interesting right now that we're going to talk about, and that's the uh, uh, whether or not to eliminate the shotgun zone in the southern, uh, pretty much half of the state, two-thirds of the state, right? You can't use uh, a rifle uh, when you're deer hunting in that part of the state, and uh, Draskowski has legislation in the state senate that would uh, remove that requirement. Uh, you could you could use rifles in the southern part of the state. And there's some kind of goofy amendments going on. I want to flesh that out with him, and we'll talk uh, some other topics, uh, perhaps outdoor topics with him. Also, I want to wish a, a happy wedding anniversary to my lovely bride. Uh, we were uh, celebrating our wedding anniversary. It's been a good run. We've got four great kids, so thank you, Annette, for uh, dealing with me all these years. Uh, so, uh, but let's talk outdoors here <laughs> a little bit. Uh, the turkey season is underway. You know, before I get to that, the trout season, of course, is underway. Uh, we got trout fishing going on uh, right now, and that season started what uh, April fifteenth. So two weeks ago, yesterday, the uh, the trout season kicked off, and I got to think today, man, with this wind, there's not many guys out there uh, working a fly rod. If you I tell you what, if you can accurately place a fly in this kind of wind. Uh, that we're dealing with this weekend, you, you, my friend, or a uh, gal, guy, whatever you might be, um, you are a fine fly caster because wind like this makes for very tough uh, trout fishing. It also makes for very, very challenging turkey hunting, which is kind of unfortunate timing because we've had the numbers are shaping up that it's 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 not been a real good turkey hunting year. The, the weather is certainly part of that. Turkeys do not like wind. Turkeys, uh, when the wind is blowing, they can't hear as well. And then they feel like that that predators potentially have a bigger advantage. Uh, so they tend to clam up. They're not as vocal. Uh, they're a little less <clears throat> responsive to calls 
when you've got high winds like this. So this was probably not a very good turkey hunting weekend. Uh, we're in the middle of the sea season, the third season. We had Ron Chera on with us last year. We talked uh, turkey with him a little bit. So we're going to turn it around here weather-wise. I'm just a little afraid that by the time we do, uh, everybody's going to be fishing, right? Because the uh, general inland waters fishing opener is two weeks from yesterday. It's uh, May 13th, Saturday, May 13th. The walleye opener kicks off here in the state. So late late season should be really good after a strange April for turkey hunting. Uh, there's going to be, and, and it's a great time to go turkey hunting, folks. May is a great month because there's fewer people out, more people are out fishing, right? Uh, they're not out in the woods. There's great public land opportunities. We've got some public land parcels in southeastern Minnesota. They call it the Door Hardwood Memorial Forest. Uh, there's some good public land parcels that... Probably had a lot of pressure the first few seasons, you know, even up to now. But you get in into May, conservation officers in that part of the state will tell you they see a lot of empty parking lots at these public land parcels as you get into May. So there's, you know, you don't have to be a landowner to go out and have success turkey hunting uh, in the month of May, and there's going to be less pressure. So I, I want to, as people's attention turns to fishing, it's a great time to uh, to try. Uh, and try turkey hunting. Uh, my dad sent me a picture of a wild turkey that had just a little blunt nub of a beard on it. The thing looked like it was maybe an inch long. Uh, and, and the beard is this kind of prehistoric feather that comes off the chest of, of a tom turkey. And it's, uh, in the spring anyway, when you want to hunt turkeys, you want to shoot bearded birds, right? Because those are the toms, those are the males. Uh, but I I'm, I'm saw several reports that uh, that beards have broken off this spring or over this winter. And it maybe had to do with, you know, it was, there was a lot of moisture. Uh, you know, there, there was a lot of snow. They were maybe digging through deeper snow trying to find food this year, and their beards were dragging on the ground. They get frozen, they get ice on them, and, then, and they, they get busted off. So I'd be curious if, uh, if anybody else out there is seeing that, uh, that occurring. I'm getting the signal we need to get in a break, so why don't we do that? Then we will chat with uh, St- State Senator... Uh, Steve Draskowski has not joined me on the show before. I'm looking forward to having a fun chat with him. So stick around. We're here till 6 o'clock. We call it WCCO Outdoors. WCCO Radio, News Talk 830, and this is WCCO Outdoors. I am Rob Dreesline. We are here until 6 o'clock. Then stay tuned for 60 minutes. Uh, and at 7 o'clock, Gerald and Steele in the house with Steele talking. So as uh, Jonathan Lowe alluded to earlier, things getting kind of back to normal here on Sunday nights. Uh, I am very excited to have a guest who's never joined me here before to kick around some outdoor topics. Cooking at the state legislature, he is State Senator Steve Draskowski, a Republican from Mazeppa, and he joins the conversation now. Steve, are you with me? I'm here, Rob. How are you? Yeah, great, thanks. Yeah, you know, I'm an old Southeast guy myself, so I bet we've stopped some of the same the same ground down in that Winona area. It's good to have a, a fellow Southeastern Minnesota with me on the show. Also, yeah, appreciate appreciate you calling in. You know, you guys are working hard at the Capitol, and it's it's a Sunday afternoon. It's your day off, and I appreciate you jumping in. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, just uh, just got done talking to a group of people in Rochester, so um uh, we work on weekends as well. Yeah, <laughs> especially during this. <laughs> but, but yeah, it is windy out there today. I heard yeah. you talking about the wind. Holy moly! Um, it, hopefully, uh, summer or spring and summer are, are coming. Yeah, tough day to work a fly rod, or uh, or if you're turkey hunting, I got to think the birds are not being real vocal out there. But so hey, let let's talk deer hunting a, a little bit. Uh, in outdoor news, we have talked a lot for several 
past several years about, you know, there's been legislation kind of brewing about whether or not we should eliminate the shotgun zone in the southern portion of the state and allow rifles. Uh, why, why don't we talk about that bigger, broader issue? Do you do you know the history of that a little bit? It goes back, I, I think, because the DNR originally wanted to limit the deer harvest when we didn't have a whole lot of deer in the southern part of the state. Now we got a lot of deer, so biologically, I think the DNR is saying uh, it, it's obsolete. Is that your understanding? Yeah, you've got it right, Rob. Uh, that's what they tell me, and I don't I don't know the year, but it's obviously it's been a long time since we've had mm-hmm. what we do have, and and um, you know the the interesting thing in the absence of knowing that history, it's it's normal for people to you know when when you talk about removing the prohibition on using rifles in the southern part of the state for deer hunting. It's normal for people to jump to, well, you know that they must have the prohibition on rifles because of safety. Uh, yeah. And that that's always the, you know, that's always the, the, the approach. And so what I did a, co- a few years ago, because I've been an advocate of this for a long time, you know, for reasons of uh, just to have more opportunities and, and uh, you know, freedom for people to 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 use different firearms. Um, but I I embarked on on trying to find out an answer to that safety question. And so I asked at the time I was in the Minnesota House, and I asked House Research to to query around the country um, what they knew or could find about you know comparison between rifles and shotguns and which one was safer. Uh, in deer hunting conditions, and the only study they found was from the Pennsylvania Assembly in the state of Pennsylvania. They commissioned a study, and they asked that question, and uh, they 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 came out, and it what it says is normal hunting conditions, Rob, when you are uh, firing the firearm parallel with the ground, uh, that actually rifles have a smaller danger area, they called it a danger area in the study, than shotguns do. Um, and so, you know, the reality is that, uh, you know, um, rifles are safer than shotguns. And why would we have, have policy that doesn't allow people to use a safer firearm uh, in their pursuit of the great outdoors? You know, with rifle barrels on shotguns now, that's what I use. I mean, the, the range on a shotgun has extended, you know, Sabo slugs <laughs> has extended significantly. We allow rifles for predator hunting in the same area, uh, the you know, the, the exact same calibers that we'd be talking about with deer. So I And I hunt in the southeast. If, if rifles were allowed, I probably would use them. I don't feel real strongly about, about it one way or the other. Where is the opposition to this coming from? Where has it come from? Is it just, the, again, the safety issue? Is that the long and short of it, you think? Well, I think as I mean, as I've talked to hunters, that that's been their question, and you know, um, you know, some will say, well, you know, on 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 the hills we have in southeast, it's uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's more of a, a safety concern, and then the then the guys and gals on the on the flatland out west will say, you know, uh, out here, it, you know, it's it's de- it, we're we're in flatter territory here, so it's so the safety is, <laughs> is definitely a concern, and so um, you know, uh, there's it, it's. I think we just need to to bring people up to speed on 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 the realities of it, and the realities are that the rifles are safer when they're used in a normal hunting situation. And um, and if I think that's probably the only really the unknown about the safety of it is probably the only opposition that that I'm aware of. Um, but in terms of of politics, uh, you know, the the DNR had this in their 
their DNR policy bill in the last biennium mm-hmm. to get rid of this prohibition mm-hmm. uh, so that, like you said, so that there could be um, there could be maybe a, an increase in the effectiveness of, of people's taking of deer where we've got high populations of deer in southeast Minnesota and maybe other places as well. So um, I think it's coming along, and I was a- actually able to, to place uh, the removal of the prohibition on two bills in the Senate in the last couple of weeks. Um, and so, and that was in the face of a, of a, of a Democrat majority. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're in the minority. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're in the minority. And, uh, and, and so the, the Democrats are largely coming along with those of us that want to do it too. So um, I, I think it's coming and I think we just need to be persistent about it. And, uh, and I think we'll get there. So now let's let's go in a little deeper and talk about some of these exceptions. So last year's version, the last biennium that you alluded to, that it passed both houses. It just I forget exactly what happened. Why it uh, it was because the session ended. The governor wasn't able to sign it. Blah blah blah. We don't need to go into that. I actually wrote Steve that I did not like that version because it allowed. I believe. Tell me if I'm wrong. It allowed county boards to opt out. And to me, that that's just ridiculous. That's just chaos. That makes every county board elect, election a referendum on whether or not the county should allow rifles versus shotguns. It just struck me as an enforcement nightmare. So even though I didn't feel real strongly about this topic, I was kind of glad that version didn't pass. Well, yours is cleaner, although there's been a couple of amendments, right, that would do something similar. Is that Olmstead and Dodge County, as it stands right now in the Senate version, would be accepted and they could... St- they would still prohibit rifles. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Senators uh, Bolden and Nelson brought amendments in my two different um, my two different amendments brought amendments to the amendment to to not allow the safer and uh, <laughs> to, to allow the safer option in their counties. So I, you know, I, I think again it's it's misinformation that people are working off of, and that's where we need to get to. Uh, but uh, yeah, it the the one that. Passed, that was in the conference report last year, yeah, allowed, allowed counties to, that would have provided a really a patchwork across yeah. the state events, which would have been a mess for the hunter to try to figure out. And the conservation officers, yeah, yeah. Oh, be. yeah, them too. Yeah. So, well, um, anyway, I think it's I think it's coming. I think we just need to to be persistent, and, and we need to educate people as we go. And I, I, I mean, I think it's we're improving our approach. I, my wife hails from the middle of Dodge County, and every time I drive through there, I'm, I'm shocked at how flat and open it is. If there's a county in the state that I think rifles would work well in, I think it would be Dodge County, but we don't need to go in too specifically on that. Where do you think this is going to end up? Uh, is the final version going to be clean, and is it going to just be you know statewide, or do you think we're going to end up with uh, you know a bunch of senators saying, well, we I want my county amended out of this too? Uh, it's got to be reconciled with the House version also, correct? Yeah, there is there is not one in the House that I'm aware of that has passed the House yet. So I know Heinzman authored one. I know Heinzman authored one, but maybe it hasn't passed. Yeah. Okay. I yeah I have to talk to Representative Heinzman um, and and see. But um, if 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 there is one that passed, that'll that'll make it stronger um, and, and give it a better chance of um, of coming into law. Uh, absent one from the House, um, the two the, the two bills, the House bill. And the Senate bill will will arrive together in conference committee side by each, and then from there they'll have to decide whether or not the the conference committee will decide whether or not the provision remains in the bill as as it goes mm-hmm. then back to each body for final passage. So if it's not in the House side, 
it's a it's a harder argument. And uh, if it is in the House side in some form and in the Senate side, then it's a it's a hard argument to not have some form of it. So uh, that will be decided uh, either way by the conferees, and we're going to continue to work uh, work work to do to bring that forward. So I would encourage listeners that are in favor, um, you know, uh, talk to talk to the members of the uh, of the Environment Committee and each body and and the authors of uh, of the bill, the the Environment Bill in the House and the Senate, to be Representative Hansen in the House and mm-hmm. uh, Senator Her in the Senate, and encourage them and let them know, you know what. Um, we we really need to do this in Minnesota. I mean, the DNR is with us, uh, the the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association, most deer hunters by far that I know, and uh, we just need to work to get there. Senator Draskowski, we covered that pretty thoroughly. I'm I'm out of time, however, but I appreciate you uh, jumping in on this issue. We'll uh, and and spending some time with us to flesh it out. Uh, good luck as uh, the session winds down here the last couple weeks, eh? Thanks, Rob. Great talking to you. Yeah, you too. Have a, have a great week. Uh, that was uh, State Senator Steve Draskowski, a Republican from Mazeppa. Uh, he has authored legislation in the Senate that would uh, eliminate the shotgun zone here in the state of Minnesota. It's been a controversial topic. Uh, last year, like I said, came very close to passage. Uh, we've had a ton of letters to the editor on this issue in Outdoor News. The past couple of years, they, they definitely warmed up last year. We've had a few uh, this winter also. I know it's, uh, it's something people feel passionate about, uh, you know, even though, like I say, the DNR is technically on board with it. And, you know, uh, Senator Draskowski making the point that he feels rifles are every bit as safe as shotguns uh, wherever uh, hunters might use them. If, if folks want to chime in on that topic, like I say, we're going to have time at the end of the show. Give us a call at 651-461-9226. We can talk about it a little bit. Uh, and between now and then, we're going to grab a break. Uh, then we're going to talk bears with Dan Stark from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. So don't go away. More WCCO Outdoors coming at you after these messages. Welcome back to WCCO Outdoors on this Sunday, April 30th. Final day of April 2023. May kicks off tomorrow. As we've talked about here, turkey hunting, of course, going in full swing. And the Inland Waters fishing opener, less than two weeks away, Saturday, May 13th. So that's coming up fast. Hey, Dan Stark from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources is going to jump in with us now. He is the large carnivore specialist for the agency. Dan, how are you doing? You're waiting for spring up there, huh? Yeah, I am. It's uh, I'm doing good. The, the uh, snow looks like it's mostly gone outside, but... Could use some warmer weather. Dan, you're in Grand Rapids, is that right? That's right. Been a great source for us on a lot of different uh, topics, wolves, and uh, but today we're going to talk bears a little bit. Uh, what coming up this Friday? I want to remind everybody we have got our deadline for folks who want to apply for a bear tag in the quota zone. Do I have that right? Yeah, the quota area is where licenses are restricted, and there's there's 14 permit areas where there's limited number of licenses available. Mostly in the northeastern portion of the state, right? Is that describing the the, the bear region, the quota region? Yeah, it's um, roughly east central up up to the northwest where we have quota areas, and then outside of that is is the no quota area where you can buy a license over the counter for the season. Is that quota area expanding regionally at all as as the bear population in Minnesota seems to expand and become a little more robust? Or if I looked at a map of, the, of that quota area from 10, 15 years ago, would it be pretty much the same as it is now? Yeah, the quota area has not changed since the early 1990s. So that those 
permit areas have been essentially the same. We've made some adjustments to manage the bear season related to some of the units so that we have a little bit um, more control on the number of permits in those areas. But mo for the most part, it's been essentially the same since the early 1990s. So how many bears do we think we have in Minnesota now? Where are they? And how many bear permits does the, will the state be issuing for 2023? Yeah, so we haven't done an actual bear population estimate since about 2008. And the way we primarily monitor the population is, is through modeling the population based on the harvest of bears and the age of, of the bears that are harvested. So we require every hunter that takes a bear during the season to submit a tooth. And through that method, we can kind of build back the population based on the age of those bears and see how many bears are, are out on the landscape. Because the primary method or, or um, mortality factor, ultimately bears die from, from hunting. It's about 80% of the overall mortality. And so that, that allows us a, an opportunity to model the, the population trend. And that's probably what's more important or we're more comfortable talking about is the population trend than an actual or specific estimate. But roughly, we're in the ballpark of about 12 to 15,000 bears statewide. That's probably about two-thirds of what it was at the peak in the um, late 1990s, early 2000s. And we saw a pretty significant decline from that time. The population started to come down, and we were always kind of chasing the number, trying to reduce permits so that we could see that trend start to increase. Mm -hmm. um, and since 2012, we have seen the population stabilize and, and, and have seen some increase in some areas. You know, like you had mentioned, there are bears showing up in different places and, and we kind of see bears out on the periphery of what we call the traditional range, but, mm -hmm. or the core range. And it takes time for us to really say that that's bear range. You know, bears need to sure. persist there over time, reproduce, have, you know, raise offspring. And, and then when we start to see that happening in those areas, then it becomes part of the range. But in, you know, the difference between the quota area and the no quota area is we want to manage the level of harvest so that we make sure that we have a bear population that's resilient and can sustain that level of hunting um, and be a, you know, be an opportunity for people. So we need to adjust permits in the quota area and the no quota area, because that's an area where bears are expanding and um, doesn't seem to be uh, impacted. So at least not yet by harvest, we still continue to see a, a slight increasing trend. And that's been consistent over the mm -hmm. last couple of decades in the no quota area. And that's probably, you know, a little bit of range expansion, but some of those places on the edge of the quota area are the most productive areas for bears because they have good natural foods. There's agricultural mm. you know, crops mm. that they, they get into. So from a bear population and productivity standpoint, it, those areas kind of on the edge are pretty good. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. I am Rob Jerislein. We are talking with Dan Stark. He is the large carnivore specialist with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. We're talking about black bear populations in Minnesota and the fact that if you want to apply for a permit in that quota area, you need to do so by this Friday, May 5th. 
I, I know DNR issued a press release, I think, last week or the week before talking about, uh, you know, Minnesota is bear country. And somewhere in there or somewhere else I saw that, you know, we've got bears kind of in the north metro now that are producing cubs. Did the release say there's like three sows producing cubs in around Carlos Avery? Uh, that's just uh, that Forest Lake area, just north of the metro. Like you say, a productive area, a lot of a lot of food, uh, and if people are willing to tolerate bears, they're gonna they're gonna do okay there, aren't they? Yeah, and I, I think for the most part, they probably go relatively undetected as long as people are keeping their bear their their bear feeders. I meant to say bird feeders. The bird <laughs> feeders put away a little slip of the tongue there, uh, and keep any attractants locked up that there aren't they aren't going to get to and. You know, once they figure out that there's a food source there, they're going to come back. And that's when, when they start to become a problem bear. You know, one thing we didn't touch on is the total number of permits. I think it's good to identify that we have increased permits this year in the quota area by about 430. And uh, we have seen some increase, especially around the southern and western part of that quota area. That area, again, is, you know, highly productive for bears. And um, we're seeing a little bit faster increase in bear numbers there than we are seeing further north. So you said you're increasing by 400. So how many total are we talking about? 4,035 permits in the quota area next mm-hmm. year. And what do you, well, like how many bears did we harvest in Minnesota last year? And, and do you expect a similar number or maybe a little higher number this fall? Yeah, last year we were at 2,251. That's about 25% lower than what it was in, in 2021. And it, and kind of the difference there is we went from, you know, a pretty poor food year in 2021 to a, a pretty, pretty good food year. One of the, I think maybe the third or fourth best natural food conditions on record. And that's really what kind of drives a bear harvest is the number of hunters out there and what the fall food conditions are. And so when those fall food conditions are good, we tend to see fewer bears harvested because they're not as, as likely to go into baits. And when they're poor, we're going to see more bears going into baits. The other thing we've seen is pretty steady increase in the number of, of people putting in for the bear lottery. Mm. You know, five years ago, we were at about 20,000. This past year, we were at almost 26,000. Wow. So, you know, people are putting in, they're building preference. And so, you know, there's, there's kind of a bubble coming through there of higher preference points, and it's taken a little bit more time for people to get drawn. Some quota areas, it'll, it'll take a, a preference level three to get drawn, but some are as high as six to okay. you know, assure you're going to get drawn. Dan, we're almost out of time, but one last quick question. I'm a Southeast Minnesota guy, and I've been watching pretty close. There's a few bears kicking around down there, aren't there? And I believe Iowa just decided to uh, protect bears uh, in that state, which I think is good news for Southeast Minnesota bears that might wander into Iowa because prior to them changing that law down there, if they if they crossed the border into Iowa, they were regarded as you know a non-protected firm and animal, the same as like a skunk. So it's good to see a little respect for, for black bears down in our uh, bluff country. Yeah, there have been bears showing up. I think two years ago, there was a bear harvested, yep. but um, we yeah. haven't you know, seen a, a real rapid growth down there, but there, there's probably uh, areas that'll support bears. Um, Certainly, yeah, I think the habitat exists. Yeah. yeah, Dan, thanks for spending a segment with us here. Uh, the, the application deadline for the bear hunt lottery closes this Friday, May fifth. 
Uh, there's a total of a little over 4,000 licenses available in 14 permit areas. And then the season runs, uh, what, it starts uh, September 1st and closes on October 15th, though most of the harvest, I think, occurs early in the season, doesn't it, Dan? Yeah, about 60% of it occurs the first week. Yeah. Well, for more information, mndnr.gov backslash hunting backslash bear. Any closing thoughts, Dan, before I let you go? You know, one thing we're focused on is trying to build resiliency in the bear population and make sure that we continue to have a healthy population that, you know, people can appreciate and enjoy out there and have an opportunity to continue to hunt and have that tradition as well. Good goal. It's uh, I'm glad to see a healthy bear population in the state. I think that's a sign of a healthy environment when you got big, big animals, big predators out there like that. So, Dan, thanks a lot for all you do and have a great uh, weekend. I hope it warms up in northern Minnesota for you. Yeah, thanks. You too. That was Dan Stark from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Let's break more of the broadcast after these messages. News Talk 830 WCCO Outdoors. Rob Jerislein with you for the final segment of this week's broadcast. Thank you uh, to our guests and everybody who's joined us listening here for the past 45 minutes. We've got uh, about 10 minutes left, so more than happy to take some calls. If anybody is out there listening, give us a buzz at 651 461 9226. Perhaps you have an opinion on the shotgun zone, uh, perhaps disappearing, that we discussed with uh, uh, Senator Steve Draskowski earlier, or any of the other topics that we've kicked around here on the broadcast this evening. A lot of news things going on that I certainly can uh, can flesh out uh, as uh, as we wrap up this week's show. For one thing, if you listen to last week's broadcast with Ron Shera, he and I talked a little bit about wild turkey populations in Minnesota and across the country. And some growing concern, kind of some murmurs out there, the turkey populations are decreasing a bit. And you sometimes see that with species, right? When they a new species enters an area and it's kind of an unoccupied niche and it's like, woohoo, we 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 can do this, and the population explodes. We're seeing it with trumpeter swans in Minnesota right now, which no one seems to want to discuss that that's a whole other topic I'll talk about another time perhaps. But we saw it with wild turkey populations around the country. The populations just absolutely exploded. Uh, and and it, it's a great wildlife success story. But then what sometimes happens with species, whether it's zebra mussels, whether it's uh, European carp, whatever it might be, they go nuts for a while and then they kind of decrease and maybe reach this new equilibri- equilibrium as as they – exploit the niche as other species perhaps sometimes learn to respond to those species. I think we've seen that with common carp, with bluegills. Our native bluegills love to eat carp eggs, and I think that's maybe limited common carp populations a little bit. Uh, Zebra mussels, I don't know how to explain that, but I know that limnologists, water biologists will tell you that they've seen uh, zebra mussel populations decrease. They're still there. They're still irritating. And I don't mean to compare wild turkeys to those two invasive species. Uh, but but in a way, it's kind of the same, right? Even though they were native here historically, when you extirpate someone and it comes back, it kind of has that same exploitive uh, sense of, of fulfilling that niche again. Uh, and and I think maybe we've seen that with wild turkeys. That's just that's just one theory. But there was a headline out of Kansas this past week. It was late in the week, and a pretty big story, I thought, that reflects this turkey topic a little bit. Uh, the, the state of Kansas is canceling its fall wild turkey hunting season. Now, we have a fall wild turkey hunting season here, too, in Minnesota. And one thing that's unique about that season, 
is that you can kill hens during that season. You take any bird, traditionally, you can you can take any bird during the, the fall turkey hunting season. And that's kind of a big deal, right? Because in the spring, you just take gobblers. And whether it's turkeys or deer, it doesn't, you know, buck harvest in, in whitetail deer hunting or gobbler harvest in turkey generally doesn't mean a whole lot because, to put it bluntly, one gobbler can take care of the breeding responsibilities for a whole lot of hens. It doesn't work that way. You take a hen out of the population, she's not laying eggs next spring, period. So I think what's going on in Kansas, where the story I read said they have seen a 60% drop in wild turkey populations between 2008 and 2021. That's a lot. What is that, folks? 13 years, the turkey population in the state of Kansas dropped 60%. I mean, that's that's not just like, hmm, what's going on with turkey populations, like these conversations we're having up here and maybe in Wisconsin and the Dakotas a little bit. That's a massive, massive drop. And so one of the first things they are doing is eliminating that fall season where presumably there's there's some hen harvest. Now, we don't have a lot of guys in Minnesota, and I presume also in Kansas, who hunt turkeys in the fall. It's just not that big of a deal. The whole culture around turkey hunting generally has been, it's a spring hunt when there's nothing else going on. I talked earlier about how once fishing gets going, there's a lot fewer people hunting turkeys. Uh, the, what's great about turkey hunting, especially in April, is there's like nothing else happening. So it's it's been great in terms of a hunting opportunity, a recreational opportunity out there. My point is re- eliminating the fall hunt, it'll help. It'll probably eliminate a, a little bit of hen harvest, but it's not necessarily, in my opinion, going to you know turn around the, 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 the turkey population loss that they've seen there. But... You know, and a lot of people who hunt turkeys in the fall, frankly, are guys or gals who are out bow hunting for deer. And while they're out there, they've they've purchased a turkey tag. And if a, and if a turkey happen, happens to go underneath their stand, uh, they'll uh, they'll plink a, a wild turkey while they're at it. So uh, biologists aren't sure what's going on. They there's been talk: is it a parasite? Is there some sort of germ that's causing hatch numbers of wild turkeys to decrease? Uh, they don't think it's killing. Healthy wild turkeys, but our hatch numbers decreasing in the spring. So that that's one theory. Uh, I, I know that was kind of a long explanation, but I, it could eventually have ramifications for uh, for hunting here in Minnesota. Also, another topic that broke uh, late this week is uh, the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources announced that they have a new vendor. Very exciting! A new vendor that is going to revamp the ELS system, the Electronic Licensing System. When you go and buy a license and you go to a, you know your holiday station or whatever it might be, or you can do it online, uh, that's that's the ELS system. And it's been around a long time, I don't know, 21, 22 years, something like that. Uh, some of us old-timers remember, you know, buying a license the old the old-fashioned way with, you know, where the it was all handwritten out. Now this ELS system is very uh, efficient, but it's uh, I believe it was Dave Wolfelt at the DNR roundtable earlier this year or last year said that the ELS system in Minnesota is now old enough to drink, meaning it's it's time to probably revamp it a little bit. And the DNR announcing they've got some new what they call a conservation technology company called S3. They're the vendor building this new electronic licensing system. What it practically means for folks out there listening is I think uh, you're going to be doing a lot more on your phone. Uh, it, there's there's going to be like probably an app version that you could have right next to the Outdoor News app or your WCCO app 
uh, where you can, uh, you know, you're going to buy your license that way. It's going to be very efficient. There's probably going to be a lot more opportunities to buy individualized licenses. I don't know, maybe day licenses. I'm just spitballing here, folks, so please don't quote me on that yet. But it should be extremely flexible. Uh, the DNR is saying that other states, including Arkansas, Michigan, Missouri, and Ohio, have used this same company to build their licensing systems. So I called my Michigan editor, Bill Parker, uh, last week and asked him, you know, how's it gone in Michigan? Uh, did, did this company implement a fairly smooth system? Did it, uh, did it come across well? Is the public uh, accepting it? And he was very upbeat about it. So uh, there you go, uh, a, a strong endorsement from another state. Uh, it's it's going to be a couple years out. I believe the DNR is saying 2025, a public launch. They're hoping in early 2025. So uh, this is a ways out. And as we know, uh, even even with a solid vendor, sometimes there can be delays. Uh, but uh, we're, we're so we're looking at minimum almost two years before we're uh, we're going to have that new system. But I'm looking forward to it. I I think anything that's more flexible is a good thing. So I am out of time. I appreciate the listeners who join us. I appreciate the guests who were with us for the past. Uh, during this past one hour. Uh, coming up next, 60 minutes at the top of the hour. And then at 7 p.m., Gerilyn Steele is back with Steele Talking. So some really good uh, local content coming with Gerilyn at 7 p.m. Uh, I want to thank Jonathan Lowe, another fine job at the controls. And I will talk to you again on this station seven days from now. Rob Dreesign signing off for WCCO Outdoors.